Father, we come before you and we can only rely on your wisdom. There is nothing else that works. Worldly wisdom doesn't work and you have given us the guideline, the roadmap, the instruction booklet for this life. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to cling to it like our very lives depend on it. And help us not to be swayed by emotion. Help us not to be taken back by anything. Help us not to be discouraged because we know you are in control and you have a plan and you have told us what the end of that plan is. And so, Father, we recognize there's no reason for discouragement, no reason to be put off. Nothing is perfect in this life and the only thing that has ever been perfect is you. So we'll trust in you, Lord. We'll put our faith in you. We thank you for the chance to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I've often said, what we believe determines how we act. What we believe alters our behavior. And so that's why scripture is so important. If we know scripture, what it says to do, and if we follow it, we will be blessed. Our tendency as believers is to follow the scripture. Now, can I get an amen? We're all sinful. Right. We, every single one of us, the, the people that are running for the office of the president, I think there's four total uh, that are out there, Gary Johnson. I know there's another, I think there's a woman who's running and there is uh, the other two, you know, the other two that are out there. And, and so we look at those people and they are just as sinful as anyone, Right. And so going into this, we need to recognize that. We're not going to get a perfect candidate. I think we sometimes build ourselves up and we go, there's got to be someone that's a little perfect. And it seemed like there were so many people running for the office of the president and surely one of them should come up that would be okay. And then it's like, well, who am I going to be completely satisfied with? No one. There's not a single person that we can point to and say, wow. This would be the one. So this idea of knowing what we believe, why we believe it, and keeping to it, it needs to guide us in our discipleship with God, in our relationship with him, in our fellowship with others, but also in our daily lives. Scripture was never meant to be cloistered inside of a church and not put to use outside the church. The purpose of the Scripture is to be put outside the church as well. If we do that, we will not only benefit ourselves, our family, our friends, but society in general. If we come to the recognition that God is there, that he has created everything, that he is the one that is in control, that there is no lie, no prevarication in him, no, no stepping around the truth, he is direct. He has told us what he wants. He has told us what is going to happen. He has told us what the fate of the world is. And so we need to act accordingly. And it is our guide for life. It should be our guide for our work as well. We would take our scriptures that we know and we would apply them to our work. For instance, as an example, scripture talks about the relationship between slaves and owners in the New Testament also in the Old Testament. But that for us translates into employers and employees. And it tells us in scriptures that the slave owners were not to be harsh with their slaves. They were to treat them with respect, especially those who are believers. The same thing would apply to us in the employment environment. If you're an employer, you're to treat your employees as well as you possibly can. You're not to be harsh with them. And so that's something that we take from outside the scripture. We 
plug it in inside of our employment arena. And if we do it well, it works well. Also, in our marriages, in our relationships, the husbands are told not to be harsh with their wives, that they are to lay down their lives for them. And so we take the scriptures from the church, from the Bible, and we install them in our relationships, in our personal lives. We do that. Well, we do the same thing with our politics. We take the scriptures, we read them, and we say, okay, this is how I'm supposed to install this inside of the the political realm. And are we all supposed to be involved politically? Well, I have some quotes coming up towards the end of the message here that it, the answer is yes, we are. And I have said before, if you're not an informed, informed voter, just don't vote. That does not release anyone from the responsibility of voting. That just means we can be lazy because, you know, it's like anything that's worth well doing is hard. It's difficult. I mean, to succeed in something, it takes a lot of effort. And as a people, as a nation, for us to succeed, we have to be self-governing, and it is difficult to do that. Is it not difficult in our diets to say no to the things that we love? <laughs> of course it is. Patty and I were walking someplace in, in a mall the other day, and, uh, of course, C's Candy was right there. And we just had to pass it by. You know, but then we stopped at Ruby's and had a big old fat burger, you know, but, but you have to make sure that we are disciplined. We have to make sure that we are disciplined and try to follow what God has for us. So this idea this morning, I am going to address the politics in our Christian faith. I have talked about this before. It was two years ago. I'm taking off of that message. uh, What is here? And by the way, this idea that is going around in churches that we should not talk about politics. We should only talk about the Bible and we should only talk about the Bible stories and we should not develop a systematic theology for all areas of our lives. I want to show you something here. This is a book by Dr. Wayne Gruden, Politics According to the Bible, a comprehensive resource of understanding modern political issues in light of scripture. This man, see how thick this book is? This book, it's a book. Now, I haven't read it page to page, but I have dove into this several times. And I just want to read to you some of the things that are in the contents, the preface, the introduction that's here. For instance, chapter one, five wrong views of Christians and government. Government should compel religion. Government should exclude religion. All government is evil and demonic. Do evangelism, not politics. Do politics, not evangelism. You start with that and you go, wow, there's a lot here. He goes on, chapter 2, a better solution, understanding the Bible rightly, liberal distortions of the Bible, biblical support for the significant Christian influence, historical examples of Christian influence on secular governments. Is the United States a Christian nation? What about the Old Testament laws? Should Christians only vote for Christian candidates? Without Christian influence, governments will have no more clear moral compass, the responsibility of pastors to teach on political issues, the obligations of all Christian citizens, churches, and the internal revenue service. That's a good one. And then, I mean, it just goes on and on. And that's just chapter one and two. And he has a total of 18 chapters. This is the Bible, so to speak, on politics. And I, I love this guy's theology, most of it. I'm not into all of it. Uh, but I will never read something where I agree with a theologian 100%. But that particular book, I mean, if you want to know something about politics and our Christianity, that is the Bible when you 
want to look up something, when you want to find out, like it deals with things like climate change and taxation and medical care, medical insurance, all of those things are dealt with inside of that book. So that's just a reference for you to tuck under your hat. And maybe if you're really interested in that, you can go look at it. Now, what are we supposed to do as far as our Christianity is concerned? The first thing we're supposed to do is pray. If we're not praying for these candidates, we're not doing what we're supposed to. Scripture tells us that we are supposed to pray for those in positions of authority, that they would have the wisdom of God to make right decisions because whatever decisions they make, it will affect us. For instance, whatever decisions I make in this church with the elders will affect all of you. And I want to make sure that I'm only doing you good. However that may manifest itself, I want to make sure you are the best loved, best fed sheep in all of the churches throughout the world. That's the goal here at Calvary Chapel Lakeside. We want to make sure you guys are ministered to the way Christ would minister to you. Now, what role should our Christian faith play in politics? Should we vote in elections? If we do vote, should we vote ethical or moral, from an ethical or moral point of view? How should we handle that? Well, let me say this. One individual had something to say about our political system. Let us not seek the Republican answer or the Democrat answer, but the right answer. Let us not seek to fix the blame for the past. Let us accept our own responsibility for the future. That was said by John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy, you know, he had his problems, right? But what he said there, that's great. In this room, you may be registered independent, Republican, Democrat, peace and freedom. You may be a Tea Party member. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that you know Christ. And so however you affiliate with yourself on those political parties, well, I think Scripture can guide us on that as well. There are people who are pejorative. They, they go to the nth degree and they say, if you don't belong to this particular party, you are following the devil. And are you following the devil if you do that? Well, that's a good question. How do you answer them when they say that? What do you say to them? Or it's the right, it's the right thing to do. Have you heard that? I mean, I have heard that a lot. How do you know what the right thing to do is? How do you know what the wrong thing to do is? Now, I could make a series of Sunday morning sermons about this. I mean, I could spend 18 weeks on it, especially if I followed Dr. Wayne Gruden and what he had to say. But first, I'm not. I'm just going to talk about it today. A couple of myths. First myth, we need to keep our religion out of politics. Religious beliefs should be excluded from governmental functions and off of governmental property. They should be excluded from the decision-making process in politics or government. That is a myth to do that. We are who we are. What would you say about me if I ran for political office? And heaven forbid that I would ever do such a thing. But if I ran for political office, if I came here and told you everything that I stood for, and then when I got in office, I changed everything everything. <laughs> yeah, I would be a traitor. It would be treasonous to those people who elected me, right? Now, 
we're not supposed to keep our religion out of our politics. Our religion, our Christianity, specifically our relationship with Christ, is to guide us in how we vote and how we participate. This is a responsibility that God has given to us. This is something that makes us unique as a nation. Never before in the history of the world have the people been granted the right to choose their own leaders. We have been given that right. What if we take that right and say, nah, I'm not interested? Like 50% of the population who could vote votes. What about the other 50%? I mean, we're neglecting our responsibility. What if only 50% of the parents took care of the children? Would there be problems? Absolutely, there'd be problems. And so we need to be participants in this process. You know, when it comes to our Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, let me read it to you. The unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that they should declare the cause or causes which impel them to the separation. In other words, God declares and the laws of nature declares that there is a time where we separate. And this was talking about a separation from England. Of course, we all know that with our history. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. It tells us in the Declaration of Independence what our government is for. When the government stops doing that, they are declaring in this Declaration of Independence that you can separate from the government. Now, I'm not telling anyone in here to separate from the government. Okay? I'm not saying, let's rise up separatists and just move out and secede from the nation. I'm not talking about that. All I'm saying is there's a recognition in the Declaration of Independence of God. So the founding fathers did not leave out God. You know, one of the things that struck particularly my wife when we went to see the Lincoln Memorial was all the references to God that are behind the Lincoln Memorial. You start reading and it's like, wow, some who wrote this, the Apostle Paul? You know, who put this stuff on the walls? And they will never show that to you when they show you the Lincoln Memorial. But it's all over Washington, D.C., these references to God. God is ubiquitous when it comes to the history of the United States. And the Founding Fathers never left out God, even though some of them were deists, quote unquote, you know, even um, Benjamin Franklin, you know, he was a Mason. This building used to be a Masonic lodge and there's all kinds of weird stuff that they do. And some were deists and some were full on Christians. And, you know, there was a mix of people there, but they all recognized God as a creator. They may not recognize him as somebody who was personal to get in touch with, but they understood the scripture. Thomas Jefferson wrote his own Bible because he didn't like some of the stuff in there. Right. And, and so you just get rid of it. I understand all that. And none of them were perfect either. But they recognize that there is this God and there is this move today to get God out of everything governmental, to make our society a secular society and do not let religion enter into it at all. Specifically, the Christian religion. We now have Muslims taking the oath of office inside the <coughs> excuse me, Congress of the United States, putting their hand on the Quran. I do not believe that the Quran is divinely inspired. 
Now, I know for somebody who is a Muslim, that is heretical. That is blasphemous to say that. But I will tell you, I do not believe it. I have a Koran. I've read it. It directly contradicts the Bible. I reject everything that is in that book. I do not believe that Muhammad is a prophet. I do not believe his people on the right path. I believe they're all destined to destruction. I believe it is a religion of death. I will just tell you plainly, as God speaks to us plainly, I believe that the Bible is the only word of God. It is prophetic in nature. No document throughout the, all the course of history has been prophetic like the Bible has. Now, there are 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence who proclaim that both the laws of nature and God himself gave our country the right to become an independent nation. And so that starts with the foundation. The second myth is you cannot legislate morality. That is not true. Somebody's morality gets legislated. Have you ever heard the phrase? I'll say it again. It's the right thing to do. Based on what? Based on feeling? I was once at a um, function, a family function, and I wanted to stir it up a little bit. And I said, uh, so how do we determine what right and wrong is? And people started sitting around. You could tell it got a little tense. What are they going to say? How are they going to interpret this? And the conclusion of most everybody there was, well, society determines what right and wrong is. Oh, so if the group is big enough, if the mob is strong enough, they can impose their will and determine right and wrong. See, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that truth stands alone no matter what we think about it. You could be one person and be right over a million people opposed to you. That's what Scripture says. Truth is immutable. It does not change. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when people come and say to those who are believers, don't legislate your morality upon us. Oh, really? So what is moral and what is immoral? What do you put inside of the laws of our land that makes it immoral and what makes it moral? If any one person or group of people is deciding that, it is false. It is a false standard. Truth is transcendent. Truth has come from outside our time domain to us. God communicated it to us. And he said, this is the standard to which we are to hold. If we don't, there will be consequences. And he gives us the free will to violate that truth. He says, go ahead, have at it. By eating that fruit, Adam and Eve in the garden, they wanted to know good and evil. God gave them over to their free will. He did that freely. And he still does that today. But there will come a time where he will judge this. So government is established to ensure that the rights of the individual given by God are upheld and protected as stated in the Declaration of Independence. Now, I haven't given you any scripture really yet. Governments, the purpose of government, one of them, is to punish evil. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made man. That was in Genesis 9, 6. That was before the Old Testament. That was before the New Testament. Romans 13, 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And it goes on to in that whole verse there that the government does not bear the sword in vain, which means government has the ability to take life to carry out capital punishment. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. And so that's the purpose of government, to uphold right and to suppress evil. When the government starts holding up evil and suppressing that which is right, 
It is the job of the citizenry, according to God's plan, to stand up and say this is wrong. Remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist lost his head because you know that at that particular time, Herod Philip was involved. Matter of fact, I'm drawing a blank right now. I don't have it in my notes. It was uh, Herodias. Herod Philip had Herodias as his wife, right? And it was, it was, uh, no, it was Philip's, help me out here. Yes, he had his brother's wife, right? Shame on me. And, And so it was an adulterous affair. And he was talking about somebody who was the governor, who was in charge. And so what are Christians not ever supposed to say something bad about somebody who is in office, who is in charge? If somebody is telling you that, they're lying to you. They have a specious argument. They have malintent. They want to control. Do not speak the truth because the truth only hurts. Only speak that which is loving and kind and building something up, someone up. If we do that, if we never speak the truth, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to raise a generation of reprobates. If we never speak the truth. And so we're supposed to do that as Christians. So as Christians, we are not given the freedom to do as we please when it comes to our own citizenry. That is anarchy. The government is supposed to come in and install a system that deals with evil and promotes that which is good. Now going on with this, I need to jump ahead. For instance, if the government told us that we must worship at a foreign shrine other than the feet of jesus christ should we participate in that no that's a time where we would break the law of the government willingly because god's law is higher than that we have this example in daniel the book of daniel i have shadrach meshach and abednego and of course nebuchadnezzar built this idol that everybody was supposed to bow down to and they said no king we're not going to do it and the king said well play the sounds the music the timbrels the trumpets again and you guys can get a second chance to bow down he goes no king we don't have to argue about this at all we're not going to do it so he threw him in the furnace right and god delivered them from that now god didn't have to deliver him from that but the point was if the government tells us to do something that is immoral that goes against god's law we're not to do it we're not to participate And so that is a time where we would go against that. That's where they would be promoting evil rather than good. So it's Genesis 9, Romans 13, and also uh, in the book of Peter that we are supposed to submit ourselves to the governing authorities, but we are not to submit ourselves to such a point where we violate God's law. We must act according to God's truth. So up to this point, governments are from God, and they are good for us. They ensure our rights. We are to submit to them unless they cause us to act immorally. Governments are established to punish evildoers. God is the arbiter. He is the one that decides what is right and wrong, good and evil. Between those two things, God tells us what is good and evil. We should vote because it is good. If we do not vote, he who does not do the good that he ought to do, what does he do? Scripture says he sins. And so if it's good to determine who our leaders are as believers, we are to vote. So I think I've made the case. God has set up the government. We are responsible for this government. We have been given the chance to vote. We are to be well-informed about it, and we are to participate. Okay, so I've set that foundation as far as Scripture is concerned. God has laid out several commandments. The government has far outdone that. God gave us 10 commandments in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 
chapter 5. The founding fathers, some of them said that when our land was established, it was only for a moral people. If we cannot govern ourselves, then we are destined for destruction. And that's what the Christian is called to do. The Christian is called to exercise self-control in all matters and have balance in their lives, in our lives. And if we do so, the government will take care of itself. But then there are those who are in the government that are wicked. And by the way, we get exactly what we deserve. We vote in the people that are wicked, right? If you know somebody is wicked before you vote them in, whose fault is it? It's our fault, right? Now, somebody might make the argument, well, they're all wicked. They are. They are all wicked. So how do you choose, well, which wickeder person do we choose? And how do we determine how wicked they are? And, well, obviously, you look at their lives, right? When it comes to elders and deacons and leadership inside the church, you look at their life and you look, you look outside the church. You're even supposed to get a recommendation from those people that know them that aren't believers, So you look at their lives and you see what they say about the individual. You also look at the person's track record. If we were to bring somebody in to be an elder and a deacon and uh, you don't know who they are, you think that's a good idea? No, that's not a good idea. It's like bringing in a new shepherd to the flock. The sheep, what do the sheep think about a new shepherd in a flock, in an actual flock of sheep that are out there? They don't go next to that shepherd. They don't know him. He has to take time and get to know them. And the sheep become familiar and they go like, okay, he's okay. We can, we can hang around. But if you brought in somebody in a leadership position inside the church and you didn't know who they were, you go, who are you? You know, what's the deal with you? Why are you so special? And the the sheep would rebel against that. The same thing applies to people in political office. If you know who they are, they've been involved in politics, or they're a, a celebrity. By the way, all politicians are celebrities. And by the way, all politicians have egos, probably bigger than ours, even though our egos can be quite big, I'm sure. I'm guilty of that at one point in my life or another. And so this idea that the people that are running for office are a little prideful, yeah, I would say that they are. Does that make them fully wicked? Probably, along with everything else, just like us. We're all fully wicked, so we can just put that one to the side, right? But we want to make sure we look at the history. What has been going on? How have they acted? And when these wicked get empowered, Bible talks a lot about the wicked. It says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 12, When the righteous trumpet triumph, there is great elation. But when the wicked rise to power, men go into hiding. When the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding. But when the wicked perish the righteous thrive. When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. When the wicked thrive, so does sin. But the righteous will see their downfall. Okay, just an observation. In the last, I'll just say 15 years, has sin increased in our nation? Is it the responsibility of the people or the leaders to curb the evil. The people. We are to elect the ones who go and rule over us, and we need to make sure that they are righteous. Now, they have their own responsibilities, and God will judge them as well. But it begins with us in this country. It begins with us. So you follow that so far? Let's go on. We need to apply this information that I've just given you. Now, maybe you're completely satisfied with the current state of affairs in our country. 
you believe that we are on the right track and we need more. You possibly might be so dissatisfied you're ready to blow a gasket. You will end up defriending everyone who is your political opponent on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You know, it's funny how free we feel on those social media sites. People just write stuff like in your face, finger in your eye, slap you upside the head, and this is the way it needs to be. Sometimes it's comical. Sometimes it's sad. But as I get into this next portion, remember this. All leaders and those who seek positions of leadership are flawed. But there has to be a standard by which we pick those people. Every candidate with the list I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you 11 things. And I'm going to give you scriptures with those. Those 11 things, you're going, whoever's running, no one's going to get 100%. And so you're not going to be able to choose someone that meets all these criteria. And I'm also going to give it to you from the perspective not only of the Bible, but our current situation politically in our country. So I'm going to take my Bible. I'm going to look at our current political situation, see how it matches up with Scripture. Then, not only I, but all of us are to make a judgment about it. And then we're supposed to act accordingly. So you follow that line of reasoning. And that's what we're supposed to do. When we have the Bible in any situation... If we're having difficulty, first we pray about it. Then we hold up the scripture. What does scripture have to say about this? One more illustration with this. Somebody who wants to get married to somebody who is not a believer and the person is a believer. What does scripture have to say? Do not do it, right? Because you'll fall into error and death begets death. If somebody is spiritually dead, the person who is a believer will eventually die as well. And so scripture prohibits that. That's a case where you take the scripture and you might hold it up and say, but I really love this person. And scripture says, do not do it. Do not be unequally yoked. And so do you let your emotion rule you or do you let your reason move you? With the scripture as primary, use the scripture and use the reason. If you do that, your life will go well. If you don't do that, It is the roll of the dice. You might get somebody who's nice and good, whether the wife or the husband, but chances are most times it's not going to turn out well. And so that's the the way that I'm using this. Now I'm going to give you 11 things. In choosing leaders, it's best to avoid a leader who uses gender, race or ethnic group, economic income, as a criterion for who will receive their support and is entitled to benefits. I'm going to say that again. It is best to avoid a leader who uses gender, race, or ethnic group, economic income level as a criterion for who will receive their support and is entitled to benefits. Now you might say, what scripture do you have for that? Thought you'd never ask. Colossians 3.11 says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ in all and is in all. 
There's other scriptures, Ephesians 6, 9 and Colossians 3, 25. God is not a respecter of persons. And so if we as individuals start taking an ethnic group and say, you are more entitled. Or if you take an economic class and say, you are not entitled if you have a lot of money. And we need to punish you for making that money. It's not based on my political views. And by the way, if you want to get angry at me, please don't. Just look at the scripture. The scripture is the one that dictates this. If you see a political figure saying, no, we need to balkanize the United States. We need to have the poor, the rich, the ethnic groups. We need to separate them all. And we need to placate. We need to pander to all those different groups. No, we are one. It's just like we're Christians. We're one, right? Anybody who would seek to divide that means you and I evil. They're trying to divide. A house divided what? Cannot stand. And so a politician who would come to you based on scripture that would have a tendency to divide us, we're in trouble if we vote them in. And it's our responsibility. Secondly, it's best to avoid a leader who offers and receives bribes. Now, you might go, oh, is that going on? Well, I don't know. Is it going on? You're supposed to judge scripturally. I'm giving you a Bible study on leadership. This is what it says in Exodus chapter 23, verse 8. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. Proverbs 15:27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. Proverbs 17:23 The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. That is just 3 verses. There's like 15 of them that deal with this particular issue. Now, any relationship to anything that is currently going on is just coincidence. I am just telling you what scripture has to say. Again, if you want to get upset, say, well, you're talking about somebody specific. Hey, look, if the shoe fits, wear it. I'm just giving the scripture. That's what I'm doing here. If you know somebody at any level, I'm going to give you an example. Remember Randy Duke Cunningham? Maybe you don't remember him. He is in jail right now. He was a Republican. And he was taking money in order to give out contracts. And he was caught, and he was thrown in prison. I say that was justice. Anybody else who does it? It's justice. That's what needs to take place. Going on. Best to avoid a leader who promotes sexually immoral behavior. You might say, wait a second here. You know, what about people who love each other? What about any type of sexual behavior that people want to participate in, as long as it doesn't affect anyone else, it isn't it okay. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 tells us that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality is number one. God has determined that the sexual relationship is to take place only in the confines of one man one woman in marriage. That's how he defines it. If somebody is promoting something different than that, if we vote them in as a politician, we cannot be surprised by what's going to take place, right? 
And by the way, our, our current direction with the sexual immorality is, that is there, it's not done. It is going to continue. And pretty soon, you know, I predicted, not because I'm a prophet, but I predicted two years before it would take place that homosexual marriage will be legalized in this country. And it was. I can predict to you, or predict also for you, that polyamory marriages with multiple partners will come to pass as a legal entity, a legal station in this country. It's just a matter of time before it takes place. If the country exists long enough, pedophilia will be legalized. It will happen. That is the direction of our country. That is where it is going. In the United States, you know, we, we raise up our arms and say, this is sinful, this is bad, this is sex trafficking and all that, but the rest of the world is deeply involved in it. They consider it normal, whether it be Saudi Arabia, whether it's over in Cambodia and the Asian countries, whether it's in Africa, it is ubiquitous in the rest of the world. I think it's ubiquitous here, but there are still believers in this country, those people who follow Christ, that stand up and say this is wrong. And so we need to call it wrong. And we should not vote in anyone who says it's the right thing to do. Fourth, it's best to avoid a leader who is lawless and refuses to follow and enforce established laws. What am I talking about here? Do we have immigration laws? Are they being followed? Do we have laws concerning marijuana? Are they being followed? No, they're not. Now, what happens to somebody who smokes their brains out with marijuana? They become a walking vegetable. Look, I know this. Trust me. I know this. This is something that it affects the mind, especially, they've done studies on this. This affects the minds, especially those who are younger, before 25. If they're involved in, in taking marijuana, it destroys the brain. And they actually have pictures of the brain, what it's doing to it today. And so any politician that would come in and not enforce the laws that we have, that chooses, no, I'm not going to enforce that one. Don't allow them to be a leader over you. You have the power to vote. Fifthly, best to avoid a leader who calls evil good and good evil. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, and who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Uh, To give you an idea about this, and this was just an observation. I went to the Grossmont Union High School District meeting for the application of benefits to partners in a gay relationship. When I went there at Grossmont High School, the auditorium was packed. It was standing room only. And you had a couple of people up on stage who were the uh, leaders in the Grossmont Union School District. And the crowd, and again, this is just observation, the crowd was against it. I, you know, I thought they were just going to start bringing out the pitchforks and everything else. But the leaders of the Grossmont Union School District voted for it. And you could just see the disgust of the people that were there. Now, some might say, well, it was just wrong for them to do that. Based on what was it wrong for them to do that? See, that's the key. We can't go to emotion. We have to go to what God says. And if we go to what God says, we're going to be okay. Now, I have to speed up here. Best to avoid... Choosing a leader based on emotion and not logic. 
Because Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure, who can understand it? So what our heart wants to do, our heart wants to be compassionate and loving and giving and all of those things. But God said, no, there's a place and a time for all of that. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, there's a time for everything under heaven. And so we need to make sure what, what somebody defines as good and loving and pure of heart, forget it. The heart cannot determine that. It is the scripture that determines what is good and what is pure and what is lovely and what is admirable. And so we want to make sure we don't choose based on emotion, but we choose based on logic. Number seven, best to avoid a leader who is for overall higher taxes. And you might say at this point, what are you talking about? Pastor, what's for higher taxes? What, where does scripture talk about that? I thought you would never ask. In 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 10 through 16, this is the story about Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Jeroboam left, get away from Solomon. He went down to Egypt. And when Solomon died, Jeroboam came back into the land. He got with the people. Rehoboam was going to become king. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. And so Rehoboam went to the elders who were the elders of his father as well and said, how should I govern these people? Because these people said that if I just take off the yoke a little bit, if I reduce the taxes, then they'll go ahead and follow me and everything will be fine. And they said, that is good advice. You should lessen the taxes and everything will be good. And so he went to his peers and he said, well, what do you guys think? The young guys, what do you guys think? And he said, raise the taxes. And you think that your father was tough? Well, I'm going to become a scorpion and my finger is, is, is thicker than my father's waist. And he was going to oppress them. And so he was going to raise the taxes on them, make it more difficult. And what happened? The kingdom split. Ten kingdoms to the north, two kingdoms to the south. And it, it says in scripture that this was a judgment brought on by God. And so whenever the taxes become confiscatory, when they start getting really high and they keep on creeping up, that is a judgment from God that we install leaders that are not righteous, that it becomes a burden to the people. So any leader that would say, yeah, I'm going to raise taxes, probably should not pick that leader. By the way, is there overspending in government? I was just checking. Best to avoid a leader who is known for prevarication, lying, or deception. How many politicians lie? (laughs) Who's skilled at it? See, that's what we want to look at. Who is the politician that is skilled at lying? Or prevarication. Prevarication is where it's not really a lie, but you know, it's not quite like that. Let me explain it to you. It just depends on what is, is. And you go on with this explanation. You know, you, you want to make sure you can read. You ask God for discernment. God, are they telling the truth or are they not telling the truth? What is the evidence that is out there? Are they trying to get me to believe something that isn't true? Proverbs twenty four twenty eight says, Do not testify against your neighbor without cause or use your lips to deceive. How many politicians try to deceive? There you go. And so you have to determine which ones are skilled at it. If there is a politician that is skilled at deception, do not ask them to be your leader. Nine, best to avoid a leader who has public stance on policy and a private stance on policy. What that means is, I'm going to give an example. Say I came to you and I said, as the pastor, I am not for abortion. I believe that God created us. And he is the one that has the ability to take life. 
and we're not supposed to do that inside the womb. Then I went out and I voted and supported Planned Parenthood. What would you call me? (laughs) Hypocrite, liar. You know, if somebody has a private policy stance and a public policy stance, which the two are contrary to each other, the person is being deceptive. It is who it is. The person, whatever they represent themselves as, that's who they need to be. Scripture says the person who is not like that is a deceiver. In Matthew chapter 22, you had uh, from verse 13 to about verse, I think it's 51 or 57 there, Jesus condemns the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. Because on the outside they did one thing, but when they got behind closed doors, they did a completely other thing. Number 10, best to avoid a leader who promises a chicken in every pot. (laughs) Now that's a colloquialism. That's a fine way of saying, well, we're just going to give you what you need to survive. And I have some quotes about this, but Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Oh, that's so hard. It is hard. Life is hard. But that's what scripture tells us. We're to be responsible for ourselves and not only have a job for ourselves, but that we might have something to share with others. That's why God gives us employment. Number 11, best to avoid a leader who is not pro-life. Arguments. When does life begin? You know, a past president said, I don't believe life begins until the baby takes the first breath. I want to tell you this from a theological standpoint. When did God say, and you may know this, you may not. When did God say life begins? When does he call you a, when does he call you a person? That's even, somebody said it. No, no. When does God call us a person? Bingo. Your name is written in the book of life before the foundations of the earth. God knows you and he calls you by name. He calls you a person then, before conception. And so this argument, when does life begin? Theologically speaking, it's long before you were ever a thought in your parents' mind. Maybe you weren't a thought in your parents' mind and you just showed up. But the, the idea is you are a person in God's sight before the earth was ever formed. So theologically speaking, you have personhood in the eyes of God long before you enter this physical realm, long before conception. Physically speaking, we come in at the moment of conception, right? Now let me leave you with quotes. I love quotes, and I'm going to give you some. For instance, giving money to the electorate, those people who vote. When the people find that they can vote themselves money, that will herald the end of the republic, Benjamin Franklin. Benevolence, this idea that government gives income from the tax base to the people again, that's benevolence. Congress has not unlimited powers to provide for the general welfare, but only those specifically enumerated. Now, what am I saying there? I'm saying that all forms of welfare, food stamps, Social Security, the government, according to the founding fathers, are not to be involved in that. Now, I'm not talking scripturally, but scripturally, there are plenty of verses that says we're responsible for ourselves, but we are also 
to have great works of benevolence. The job that we are supposed to be involved in as Christians is giving to others for their support, not the government. God never set up the government for that purpose. And the, um, uh, the way that he set it up in the Old Testament with Moses and all of those, you know, people could go glean from private fields, but the government was not set up so that they would have a storehouse to give to the poor, although even some in the temple, they would give to the poor, the priests would give to the poor. It was not the job of the government to do so, whether in the Bible or in our time of government. Thomas Jefferson, he had some... Problems in 1794 when Congress appropriated $15,000 for relief of French refugees who fled the insurrection of San Domingo to Baltimore and Philadelphia. James Madison stood on the floor of the House to object, saying, I cannot undertake to lay my finger on the article of the Constitution which granted a right to Congress of expending on objects of benevolence the money of their constituents. In other words, taking the tax base and giving it to the people. That's not what government is supposed to be for. I have tons of these. What about uh, many laws? If you have 10,000 regulations, you destroy all respect for the law. Winston Churchill said that. What about non-participation in, pop, in politics? One of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. What about compromise? In politics, the middle way is none at all. You know, so these are pithy comments. I, I just want to make sure, and we're going to be receiving communion in a moment here, and I'm right at the top, and we're going to go over a little bit. And I know that you probably have things to do. I just want to encourage you guys. Don't look at me and say, that pastor talked about politics. No, I talked about scripture. Scripture is our guide. And if you have an issue with that, you know, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, all of that, just look to the scripture. The scripture guides us. It is clear. It is lucid. It directs us on how we're to conduct our lives, not in our relationships only, but also in our politics, in our businesses, in every relationship that we have. So my prayer for you is that you are able to do this, that you're able to suppress your emotions and say and think logically and go, this is what God has told us we're supposed to do. Now, at this particular point, it is our habit on the first Sunday of every uh, month to make sure that we receive communion, to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so what we're going to do, I don't want to speed too quickly through this, but the guys are going to come forward, and women, and they're going to grab these and pass out the cup and the bread. And so I'd like you to hold on to that until we can all participate in receiving together. And if the worship team would come up, we're going to sing a song as they're doing that.